You're listening to the Renegade Blitz, the best podcast for Steelers fans by Steelers fans. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at RBlitzPod, and at Blitz Videos. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com, like us on Facebook, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. And welcome back to the Renegade Blitz podcast. I'm Ty Pope with Chris Ford and Brandon Walker. Back with you. So much to talk about. Uh, the shock of the century. The Steelers hired Brian Flores, who's currently in an NFL lawsuit with the Miami Dolphins and I believe with a couple other teams, the Houston Texans, to name a few. And, well, we want to talk more about that and also finally talk more about the Senior Bowl and what implications that have that has with the Steelers. And we're glad to have on Nick Fairbaugh, uh, kind of a yeoman of media here in Pittsburgh, the Locked On Pit podcast, also writing for Pittsburgh Sports Now and also broadcasting on WPTS Sports, the uh, Pitt student radio station. As a former student radio guy, I love that. And uh, Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. We're always busy, man. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm, I'm excited to talk Steelers. There's a ton to talk about, obviously, early in the offseason. But, boy, I think already this has been uh, a ride, to say the least. It has been a roller coaster ride for uh, writers, fans, whatever you might be in terms of the Steelers landscape. This has been a roller coaster already. And we're not even in free agency yet. Oh, no, we are not. But, Nick, I want to get your initial thoughts whenever you – because – For me, I was looking at the ESPN bottom line. It went red, and I see Steelers hire Brian Flores. And I I was eating breakfast at the time, and I had the classic spit take with orange juice. So I'm not going to show you my the rest of my uh, drawer right here because it looks mess. But (laughs) just I want to get your thoughts immediately whenever that was announced. Well, the first thoughts were of surprise, obviously. I mean, we hadn't heard anything about this. This was not reported at all. It came right out of the blue. Essentially, it, it, I got the notification on my phone, and I was extremely surprised. But also, I think I was extremely excited to see now what you could do with Brian Flores on the coaching staff because what a hire. I mean, really you, I think there was a thought in my brain that it would never happen outside of maybe a defensive coordinator role because I didn't think Flores would take a, a position coach less senior defensive assistant. He's essentially what Terrell Austin was, but for the front seven. I mean, that's essentially what he was hired to be. Um, he's, he's Keith Butler's replacement, um, essentially. Um, and so I was surprised that they, they got him. I, and I also was very surprised that a team took him on. I'm really glad they did. And I think that was also another feeling that I had initially. I'm really glad that Brian Flores got hired because very easily this could have ended up with him being completely out of the league, being blackballed. I'm glad that he was a guy that at least got an opportunity to coach and at least has a platform to maybe get back to where he belongs as a head coach. Ridiculously overqualified, home run hire for the Steelers for what they needed. Really good hire. Really glad Brian Flores got hired. And so those were really my initial thoughts. But again, I was surprised. I I did, as you said, I did a spit take myself. <laughs> yeah, I, I had the same thought about, uh, you know, I was just glad that the, the league, you know, the, the Rooney's really, you know, Art Rooney second and Mike Tomlin, you know, they, they would be the team to do it. Like I was worried that they were going to blackball him. And, you know, credit to Flores, like you said, he's very uh, grossly overqualified for that position. But for him to be humble enough to accept that position really, you know, speaks – 
volumes. And, uh, man, he's, he's going to be a great addition for, to that defensive staff. Uh, I'm excited to see what he could do with Devin Bush. Yeah, uh, You know, he had a great uh, track record of doing things in New England and even when he coached the safeties there also. But uh, uh, what, what I want to get to is, like, what, what do you think is going to happen with the play calling? Do you think Tomlin's gonna, still going to do it? Because that's what Keith Butler said, you know, uh, you know, a few weeks ago. Uh, that you know, pretty much during his whole tenure, that uh, Tomlin was calling the defensive plays. So, do you think it's going to be Tomlin still, or do you think it's going to be more of like a, a mixture of Terrell, uh, Terrell Austin and uh, Brian Flores? Oh, I, I think this this is Mike Tomlin's defense. Let, let's be real here. But and here's the thing: while Tomlin will call the plays, and Tomlin will have, I think, the final say. I also think people kind of don't understand exactly what the dichotomy and the dynamics are behind that room. Um, It's not like Tomlin is like this authoritarian totalitarian that essentially is like my way or the highway. I think he's really a guy that takes in his input from other guys. Like Keith Butler had a ton of input on their fronts, their blitzes. You saw what they did with Mike Hilton. That was largely Keith Butler. Um, You know, that, that was his invention, his blitzes. Um, And I think that's what they were going to miss without Keith Butler, right? They were going to miss what he brought from the blitzing scheme. Now they have Brian Flores, who's somehow an upgrading. Keith Butler, for all the flack everyone would give him, that dude knew how to scheme up a blitz. And and Brian Flores knows how to scheme up blitz. Brian Flores is one of the best front seven blitz designers in the league, if not the best. He's up there with them. Um, So so you're going to see a lot of different types of blitzes and and his – Impact. I think you already saw a little bit of Terrell Austin's impact trickle in throughout the years. They've moved from a lot of single high to two high now, um, which is obviously the trend in which the league's going. But it's also just so happens to be the scheme that Terrell Austin has run essentially his entire career in the league. Um, So they've moved towards what Terrell Austin has brought. So really, he brings in these ideas and and guys that kind of do what they can. And I think that Mike Tomlin tries to get as much input from everyone as he can. He probably gets input from Carl Dunbar, Jerry Olsavisky, Grady Brown. All those guys get certain um, inputs. But obviously, there's a hierarchy to this team right now. There's a hierarchy to what they have. And so I think the hierarchy would go Tomlin, Austin, Flores, just slightly below Austin. And then, obviously, you have the rest of the assistants. But I think that this is Mike Tomlin's defense in terms of the play calling. But I think that all these guys have – a ton of input and you see their influences throughout. So I don't think it's just Mike Tomlin saying my way or the highway. I think he takes a lot of influences from, from those around him. Brandon, we, we had a talk about this in the group chat and you also had your article in the new Pittsburgh courier. Uh, we we kind of felt like it was a given that Tomlin was going to be the play caller. Um, I'm curious uh, on what you know about this. So we obviously know that Tomlin handles the defense and a lot of head coaches, they tend to handle the specialty. It seems like I want to take it off of Eric Bieniemy, where he kind of became the play designer for, for the, uh, the Kansas city chiefs under Andy Reid. after all that. Is that what we're seeing from Terrell Austin in this case? He's more the design guy as we're, we're losing everyone. I guess it's because of connections, just weird apologies for that. But is it like play design in terms of that? You mentioned the two-high safety look. Uh, I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah, I think in some manners it is, right? Um, I feel like every good coach, every good coach, you know, whether it's offensive, defensive, special teams, they have a right-hand man, essentially. And you can even look at guys like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay. They obviously 
are not they're obviously calling the plays but Shanahan had had Mike McDaniel um obviously this year if you look at McVay had Kevin O'Connell like these are guys that got hired for head coaching positions Bienemy is obviously a great example of that um and, and if you're looking in Tampa Bay it's a little different because I think Bruce Arians is one of the few that doesn't actually call plays I think Byron Leftwich and Tobles have complete autonomy over there but there are a ton of guys that get that type of, of work. So everyone needs that right-hand man. And Mike Tomlin's no different. Uh, he's had that right-hand guy for a long time. And Keith Butler was that guy. I think in the later years of the Dick LeBar, he was that guy. Um, I, I think that Tomlin obviously has his ideas, and he came from a Tampa 2 background, and there's some principles that they still use from what he brings. But, yeah, I, I think that Austin's going to be a guy that – you know, is going to look around the league, study trends. I think Brian Flores is going to bring what he knows from New England and and what he did in Miami, and he's going to infuse the fronts a little bit, and he's going to change up some of the blitzes. I think you're going to see a little bit of change there. Um, I it's it's going to be largely the same defense. And and this, understand this: the Steelers have not changed their defense in terms of their core values in 25 years or so, because really it's carried over from what Bill Cower had, then what Dick LeBeau came in. And it kind of has been the same type of thing, which has been fine. They've just evolved it and tweaked it to their personnel and kind of what they do. Um, so it's 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 added a lot of flavor to the scheme, but it's really the same core stuff that they run. So yeah, Terrell Austin is going to be a guy that you know brings his own little flavor. Brian Flores is going to bring his flavor in terms of his blitz design. So think of Brian Flores as the blitz designer. Um, I think that's what you're going to get from him. Tara Lawson's going to be the guy that does some coverage switching. And then Mike Tom's going to be the mediator and he's going to have the final say and he'll put this and this and he'll mesh them together. And I think that's kind of how it works here. And then obviously, again, you still get ideas from Carl Dunbar, Jerry Olsavisky, um, Grady Brown, all those assistants. They all like understand that all of them go into the room together and they discuss a lot of things and they're all going to talk about what to do here what personnel they think they should use, you know, should you play Mallette or Norwood more? Like that's going to be a call that's going to be made by Grady Brown. Um, if you want to play Loudermilk or Montrevis Adams, that's going to be called by Dunbar. Like there, there's different types of things and how it works. Mike Tomlin obviously gets the final say, but yeah, it, it's not like Austin and Flores are going to be powerless here. They're going to have enough influence to where you're going to see their influences on this defense. And, and I'm curious because the one the one thing that I've noticed with his title, obviously it's it's linebackers coach right next to it, but senior defensive assistant. Uh, if he was just a senior defensive assistant, I don't think this this move necessarily gets the fire that it's had behind him. Yes, it's hiring a guy that's suing the league right now, but when I, when I think of senior defensive assistant, I think of. To, to steal something from Pitt, kind of like what uh, Coach Kasperowitz out, who was in Pine Ridgeland, where he's he's a assistant, where it's like a volunteer assistant. They pay him under the table. But I, I was kind of feeling that with this, the best thing to do with Flores is maybe in-game adjustments. That's one thing that me and Brandon were kind of looking at as well. Is that going to be one of his things? Well, I, I would imagine it would be. And I think this is also what makes it – Interesting is that that's the same job title Terrell Austin had. It was senior defensive assistant slash secondary for three years. And what was he brought into? Yes, he was brought in to coach the secondary. Yes, he was brought in to bring in some adjustments. He was also brought in to help Tom with challenges and game clock management and on all that stuff, right? Um, so so game management type stuff. Here's the issue: Terrell Austin had never been a head coach. 
Brian Flores has been a head coach and one that we've seen overachieve in Miami. So I think Brian Flores is going to take some of those challenges, um, some of that some of that clock management stuff. I think he's going to be a, a counsel of sorts. So Mike Tomlin on those head coach management things. Um, and, I, and I think that is something to definitely note about this, is that I think Brian Flores is also going to fill that role as well as being what I think is going to be a, a blitz guru for this team. So I think Brian Flores is going to have plenty uh, of impact in terms of that. I think that's a really good point. That is something that Brian Flores, I think, will have on his plate uh, here in Pittsburgh. I'll let you guys take over for a minute. Thank you for yeah. Uh, we I, we, I, we, we I couldn't get to hear too much because mine went to hell in the handbasket. I didn't even know what you guys was talking about. It was just YouTube before I finally got off my phone and got on the computer where Chris is. So just get me caught up with you guys talking about. And then I'll ask a question from there. Uh, we we kind of talked about our our discussion in the group chat. Uh, Brandon, it was about, you know, like what we felt everything was going to be delegated. Basically, mm -hmm. Terrell Austin, play designer, Flores, in-game management, what the title senior defensive assistant means and how that was actually previously Terrell Austin's title before he right. was named defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you this, Nick. Number one, do you think there could be potentially maybe a power struggle? There, not being me playing devil's advocate like I do sometimes. And two, do you think Flores is going to be actually, even though defensive senior defense assistant, defensive, it's going to be actually above Terra Austin when it comes to the defense and how it's run and how it's designed? So here's the thing. I know that there there's definitely a thought there that there could be too many cooks in the kitchen, essentially. Um, that, yeah. yes, it looks like a great staff. They have Austin, who's an experienced defense coordinator. Obviously, Mike Tomlin needs no recommendation for me. And then, obviously, Brian Flores is a very tenured guy as well throughout the league. Um, and then you have even guys like Carl Dunbar, who have been around the block um, for a while. Um, but I think that they're, it, the power struggle thing about it is – how much influence does Mike Tomlin hold? I don't think he's a totalitarian, as I've said before, mm -hmm. but I also think that Tomlin is the final say. He's the head coach. The defense is his baby, essentially. And so that's going to be different. I, I think, it, you know, the power dynamics, I don't think it's going to be too crazy. And I think here's what's going to happen. And I, I kind of said this is a hierarchy. The hierarchy, I think, goes Mike Tomlin. I think Terrell Austin will be the number two in command. I think right below that is going to be Brian Flores. I think basically all the Steelers did was flip the front seven in the secondary because last year it went Tomlin, Butler, Austin, but Terrell Austin definitely had his fingerprints on that defense. Brian Flores is definitely going to have his fingerprints on this defense. Um, and so I, I think that you're going to see these guys get their concepts built in. I think that they're going to have say, I think that Tomlin's done a nice job overall of being able to delegate among his staff. I don't think that they're going to be able to call plays and maybe that'll irk a guy like Austin or, or a guy like Flores, I don't know how they're going to react to that. I think Tomlin is going to call plays, but let's also understand that they are going to get much game planning say. They're going to get schematic tread. They're going to get personnel decisions. Um, they're going to have a lot on their plates. Not like they're powerless here. Mike Tomlin might call the plays, but also 
He's a guy that that takes feedback from everyone inside that building, both in-game and out of game. I think, you know, if Brian Flores comes up to him during the game and says, hey, I want to run this blitz, I'm seeing this look, I think Mike Tomlin will take that. If Terrell Austin says this coverage is not working, we should switch to this, and Mike Tomlin agrees, he'll take that. Like, these guys can float out these suggestions. Mike Tomlin's going to get the final save, obviously. They call them and implement them. But I think that that's definitely kind of your power structure. This is that power vacuum. It's Mike Tomlin – at the top, then you got Terrell Austin. Then right below that is Brian Flores. But I think those two guys, both Flores and Austin, are going to have pull. And I don't think you're going to step on your on their toes much because I think even when Terrell Austin was a defensive coordinator, he was mainly secondary focused. So they're not going to step on each other's toes. They're really going to supplement each other. I think the only way you see them kind of step on each other's toes is if Flores starts kind of leaking through into that, that secondary area. And that's obviously – it has been an issue at times, mm. and that's where, you know – the issues of uh, Minka Fitzpatrick have been kind of raised. I was getting uh, ready to mention that. Yep, and and that's where uh, that's that's essentially where that came from was that Brian Flores got caught with his cookies, uh, with his hand in the cookie jar a little bit too much and moved Minka around and it forced Minka out of Miami because he wasn't happy with his role. So I think if you're Coach Tomlin, you have to be cognizant of that. You probably know that, and so I think Brian Flores is going to focus on the front seven. The backers, the D line, the linebackers. Let's scheme them up. Terrell Austin has the secondary. He'll also help Flores a little bit. Um, but I, I think you're going to see a separation between those because I don't think okay. you, if you're Mike Tomlin, you want to prioritize Minka Fitzpatrick and his happiness as well. Right. Oh, you, I'm going to have a, have a question because funny you asked that. This was in the middle of Miami a couple years ago, just trying to give up everybody. Remember they gave up Laramie Tunsil. Do you think that was a Flores' decision to get rid of Minka, or do you or do you think it was just a an office management type call? I mean, ownership, general manager type call. So I think there there's definitely merit to those um, tanking accusations. I think Flores was definitely paid to do it. From what from what I've heard, you know, Stephen Ross is not exactly the most upstanding guy. Um, so I, I definitely think that that's a thing. I think the Minka thing is kind of separate from it, though. I think that the Tunsil trade might have been one. I think Minka, though, legitimately was just very disgruntled in Miami. He didn't like his role. He didn't like where he was. And I don't think him and him and Minka saw eye to eye at all. And I think Flores and Minka kind of had different ideas of what his role was supposed to be. Minka wanted to be a free safety. Flores wanted him to be the slot, kind of do it all. Um, and so – that I think was a legitimate disconnect between those two. Okay. Now, right. maybe, maybe in a different area, maybe these two work it out in a different organization. And, you know, Minka does end up moving to free safety and, and he stays a dolphin. Maybe they did come from ownership that, hey, we're trying to tank here. If he's disgruntled, let's just get him out of here and let's not work through this. Uh, I don't know if it was reconcilable at all. I don't know if, you know, this is a, a hate situation where Minka just couldn't play for Flores any longer and this was not fixable. Um, but, but I definitely can see where there was a disconnect here and that it could trickle trigger that. But also when you put it in the context of the situation, I also think you have to note that, Hey, if they were this trigger happy and they were paying Flores to lose games, maybe it made, it gave less incentive to work through things with Minka and just ship them out. Yeah. And along with uh, being a senior defense assistant, uh, you know, you know, also the linebackers coach. So, so do you think, uh, you know, essentially, do you think uh, Flores can save Devin Bush and and uh, get him on track? Yeah, I, I think the question of if he's going to save Devin Bush is a complicated one because um, Devin Bush is a complicated player, um, to say the least. And I think Devin Bush, you saw his rookie tape and it was really good. 
Uh, there was flashes. He was playing with his head on fire. The guy was flying around the, the entire field. He was making really solid plays and covers. The flashes were there. And then he really, I thought, had, was having a really good season in the second season of his career. I thought he looked really good. The game slowed down for him. He was playing fast, and then he tears his ACL. And the question's going to be more so, can he get his confidence back? Because last year he was a guy playing without his confidence. He didn't play with the same fire. He didn't play with the same speed. He didn't play with that reckless abandonment that you knew Devin Bush was. He was a hard hitter, a guy that set the tone. But he was athletic and covering and never felt like Devin Bush trusted his knee. And that's something that he he alluded to throughout the, the season. You know, Devin Bush would never say it outright. But you could tell as he continued to speak, there was not confidence in his knee. And so can he build that confidence up? Brian Flores, similarly to Mike Tomlin, is one of those culture-building guys that can get a lot of things out of his players. We've heard that about Brian Flores. He's a guy that's hard on his players, but he's also that type of guy that you can take solace in and you can get advice from, and, and he'll be that mentor to you. So Brian Flores, to fix Devin Bush, if there's anyone that can fix Devin Bush, it's going to be Brian Flores. But understand that Bush, while talented, he's in year four now. Will he be a better player next year? I think he will be. The question is, will that be a good player? I'm not completely certain of that, but he's going to need both mental and technical guidance on the football field. And, and do, do you think um, film study was the issue at all with Bush? I mean, there were some people, like I think, like 93 Burns, some of the fan was kind of pointing that, like maybe like film. I, I know Ryan Shazier pointed out that that he watched a lot of film when he was with the Steelers, and he suggested maybe that's what uh, Bush needs to you know, kind of turn his career around. And like you said, I think Flores will be on him about that. Well, I think film study is important, of course. And I don't know how much Devin Bush did that. Um, it could be an issue. I think also, you know, his when you are worried about your knee going out every time, a lot of that film study that you might have had just kind of goes out your head because um, you're worried about injuring that knee again. Um, and so – does he have film study issues? Maybe, but I could also see throughout that first and second season where he was working on his tendencies and kind of counteracting them. I don't know if this is a work ethic issue as much as it is a confidence issue for Devin Bush. That's kind of my view. I don't know if he has a film study issue. I think it was his confidence that didn't allow him to play fast, and so he didn't really read things well, and I think it was not the first thing on his mind. All right. Oh, go ahead, Ty. Well, we, we talked about Minka. We've talked about Bush. It's two sides of a different coin. But I want to know, in your opinion, with, with this hire, Brian Flores, is there someone that you think that could benefit from this hire that Steelers fans haven't really talked much about? So here's the thing. The Steelers don't really have a personnel to run Brian Flores' blitzes. And that's the issue. They don't really have a blitzing type linebacker. Dot Spillane might be that guy, and then this year he turned out to be terrible at it. If there's one guy that I could see really getting some tread from this, um, and I think could really get, you know, a little bit more use, and if he comes back, Arthur Mallette. I think Arthur Mallette is a type of he's in that Mike Hilton vein, but he's the type of guy that is pretty fearless. He'll he'll come down and. He'll be that blitzing guy that you want, that run-stopping nickel defender that Steelers like. I think that he's a guy that if he comes back 
could be actually really good. You know, believe it or not, I thought the Steelers' best blitzing linebacker this year was Marcus Allen. So maybe Marcus Allen is the hidden guy, you know, the former converted safety, a guy that can really be explosive off the edge and come around and just when he's unblocked, man, he flies like a missile uh, through the gaps. He's pretty fearless. He's a little bit undersized, but he's fearless. I don't know if there's a hidden guy because I don't know if there's a guy, if, if you know, if there was a guy that would fit a Vince Williams type mold, maybe, maybe the real hidden one here. And we don't know what his skill set is. We don't know how good he is. Maybe it's Buddy Johnson. Maybe. And that's the one that hidden guy that I would say um, that would be a real winner here because he was kind of talked about as maybe Vince's successor, this vocal guy, this more athletic type of buck linebacker that loves to smash down low in the gaps. Really good blitzer. That was good on his film. That was one of the best things about Buddy Johnson's film at Texas AM. He's a really good blitzer from the inside. So maybe Buddy Johnson gets some tread out of this and he can fit in well with the Flores scheme. Although I'm guessing they're going to bring in a, a linebacker or two from outside. Uh, to help and fit that Flores blitz team a little bit more. Well, one more right. thing before I get the brand, before we get the Brandon, well, who, who would be that guy? Because a lot of people are looking at in the corners position, JC Jackson from new England as a guy to bring in there, but there, but he's obviously one good guy. Uh, they're looking for that Dante Hightower type of guy from new England. So who, in your opinion, would that be? Well, Dante Hightower is a great fit, obviously. Um, I mean, fits everything you want. He played with Brian Flores. He's been with the blitz scheme that Flores has used. He knows what's going on there. Uh, I think, you know, Brian Flores with Dante Hightower is such a natural fit because even in, even at 31, I believe Dante Hightower is now 31 years old, he's a guy that really still is so aggressive in the box and, and he does a great job in terms of run defense. He, he was a great run defender this year too. I, I've seen some people say he's washed, but he's really not. He, he's still very powerful. He still plays with the same physicality. He's been decently healthy, although he dealt with an ankle injury this year that limited him a little bit. I really like that Donta Hightower fit. Uh, I also really like when you look at it overall, from a draft perspective, I think there's a few names that stand out. Darian Beavers from Cincinnati is a real standout guy to me um that sam type of linebacker a great blitzer blitz off the edge um i think that they're chad mama from wyoming i think those two guys the moon clark from lsu those three i think clark beavers and and mama are the real three guys at that linebacker spot that fit everything flores wants now if they go first round devin lloyd is also a fit from utah you know maybe the best linebacker in this draft pound for pound so there, there are a lot of guys out there that fit the floor scheme. Expect them to add that, that physical type guy, that guy that fits the Vince Williams type role um, that can blitz and, and bang down low and be a good run defender who can shed blocks at the second level. Okay. Well, we're going to switch a little bit to the offensive side. They got rid of Mike Ike Hilliard and they bring in Frisbane Jackson. That's how you say, say his name? Mm-hmm. Frisbane Jackson for the wide receiver core. They got a new offensive line coach. So how do you think of how that scheme fits on the offense and how they're going to move? Because it seems like I said all year long, Dev- Deontay Johnson could be a top five wide receiver in the league if he gets his head out of his you-know-what. And Claypool, he was looking more like DK Metcalf his first year. Now he just – it seemed like he was just hanging out with – too concerned about hanging out with the thoughts on the south side – than uh, playing football last season. So, how do you think the offense, the, and the skill position on the offensive line fits? And do you think they need to get 
centers in the draft or say a center in the draft tackle position? How do you think this offensive fit offense fits? Yeah, well, Frisman Jackson, first off, is a guy that notoriously is a hard coacher as well, which I find interesting. Him, Meyer, and Brian Flores all have this kind of style where they demand a lot of other players in practice, and it, they hope it shows up in-game. So I don't know, maybe a kick kick to the behind was what this team needed, and maybe that's what what Mike Tomlin's looking for. Um, and so I found that interesting about Frisman Jackson. I, and everything I've heard about Frisman Jackson has been that he's a, a really good person and that he's a guy that will coach you up and he expects a lot out of you. But again, you usually come out the better end of that. And DJ Moore, I think is living proof of that. Um, I, I think that offensive line is an interesting question because Pat Meyer, the hire of the new offensive line coach, he's a different type of offensive line coach from Adrian Clem, from Mike Munchak, from Sean Surrett, um, even Chris Morgan as well. While he has worked in wide zone schemes, for example, like a Shanahan scheme, um, he works more inside zone. So the Canada scheme that we saw last year in the running scheme should be the same scheme we see this year. Uh, I don't think it's going to change that much. I don't think they're going to magically switch to a wide zone scheme. So that kind of raises up some certain questions to me about what they need. First of all, they need at least one tackle. I mean, straight up. There's just not depth there. Chuk's core four is a free agent. Zach Banner probably won't come back. I don't feel like it. You know, the knee had been an issue all year. It won't come out and say that's why he won't play, but I don't think the knee was ever fully healed. Joe Haig is Joe Haig. Um, and Dan Moore is the most promising of that bunch. But ideally, you don't hand Dan Moore the starting left tackle or right tackle job. You make him earn it again in his second year. They were promising things, but it wasn't good enough for me to where I could say, yeah, I'll give you this starting job. So they needed a tackle at the very least. I think they should sign one and draft one. I think that's what I would do. I would double hit that position group. Now, obviously, they need a center. I mean, Kendrick Green was just not good enough. Unfortunately, I really like Kendrick Green. I don't think he's in the right scheme. I really don't. This is a guy that should be exclusively in a scheme like a Kyle Shanahan, a Sean McVay, a Kevin Stefanski, that type of scheme where that wide zone action is. Use his athleticism, get him in space, let him get to the second level. When you try to make him overpower guys, Matt Kennedy's scheme has a lot of that different type of, of runs. It's not just zone runs, it's gap runs, it's power runs, it's all this type of stuff. You're not going to get the most out of Kendrick Green. So they're not fitting him right. Maybe they move him to guard. Um, it's possible. I don't know what they're going to do with Kendrick Green. But this, the straight-up fact of this is if you were planning for this scheme with him, you should not have been playing this year. He should have had that redshirt year. Hopefully you haven't destroyed his confidence because I'm telling you, I bet he hears the noise right now. So it's going to be an issue. We'll see where that goes. They definitely need a center, whether that's through free agency or the draft. Guard, they obviously need one guard. Um, I think that Kevin Dotson has done enough to earn himself another starting job at the left guard. Um, I know the injury obviously came up, but I thought he was really starting to hit his stride before that injury. Um, they need a right guard, though, badly. Trey Turner, he was fine as a veteran presence, but he was not good last year. So they need to either draft a guy or sign a guy. This good, Here's the good news for the Steelers. While it's a thin guard and center class, it's a really good free agent into your offensive line class. And that's why I think you might see them address the interior of the line in free agency. That's my guess. I think, you know, maybe they sign a center. There's a few good centers out there. Ryan Jensen's out there. Matt Paradis uh, worked with. Pat Meyer in Carolina, that could be an easy, cheap sign that they put there at center for a few years. Um, guard has at least a top prospect, so does center. Tyler Linderbaum and Kenyon Green are both there. 
Um, but tackle is deep in this draft, and, and I think that tackle overall has good talent. Charles Cross, um, I like some of the day two guys there. I like Sean Ryan. If you can get him later, I like guys like Bernard Raymond. Um, they're good tackles here. So you got to – I mean, they really do. It wouldn't be a bad thing if they had three new starters on this line, maybe even four. But the question is, are you going to rework it to that scale? It's going to all depend on the aggressiveness to see those taking free agency. Do you think they're going to be aggressive? I think they're going to be more aggressive than they are usually. I do. I think we're going to see them make a few impact signings. I think we're going to see them look to free agency, fill a few voids. I think they're going to bring back a guy like Terrell Edmonds. I don't think they're going to let him walk. Or If they don't bring him back, they're going to get a strong safety. I think they're going to sign maybe a Juju Smith-Schuster or another receiver. I think they're going to bring in at least one lineman, maybe two linemen. I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in two linemen. I, they're obviously, I think, I think they're going to bring in a quarterback. Um, so I think they're going to spend this money. And I think they're going to spend it on outside guys. They're also going to spend it on their own. I think they're going to extend Minka Fitzpatrick, maybe Deontay Johnson. Um, I think you're going to see them work pretty aggressively, decently, at least in this offseason, comparatively to most of their offseasons. They're going to make a few signs, trust me. The over-under is probably around five, and I would bet right along, right among that line there, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, uh, move, moving on, uh, I think we touched both good on the floor situation and the offense. But, uh, man, the senior ball, there's a lot of talk about in the upcoming draft. So I guess we'll just start with, uh, you know, the quarterback. It's kind of like a two-part question. Uh, uh, what, were your, what are your thoughts on Kenny Pickett and the whole hand size situation and uh, the, the, the reported interest of uh, Malik Willis going to the Steelers or the Steelers' interest in Malik Willis, I should say? And uh, how did Willis look at, at the senior ball? Well, I think that's the two most interested quarterbacks the Steelers like. I think they like Pickett and Willis the most um, from at least what I've seen and what I've heard. And so I look at a guy like Kenny Pickett, and obviously I've seen him play over five years at Pitt. I know what he does, essentially. He's mobile. He creates really well off-platform. He's got crazy arm angles. He has the ability to really create out of structure. He has, I think, decent arm strength. I don't think it's great. Um He's a guy, though, that is limited in some ways. I'm not sure that he's going to be a guy that is a rocket thrower down the field. I'm not sure he's going to open up your deep passing game a ton. I'm not sure he's going to be a guy that handles pressure all that well. I think his pocket management's a little suspect. And the hand size issue, I it will, you know, I didn't come into the senior bowl thinking it was that big of an issue. I had seen him play in different conditions. Here's the issue. I saw him playing that second half against UNC this year at Heinz Field. It really affected him that game. And then down at the Senior Bowl, it really affected him, not just in throwing the ball. He was fumbling the ball a ton that day. That was concerning to me. 26 fumbles over four years as a starter is not a good stat for Kenny Pickett to have um, straight up. And so the hand size thing, I'm not sure if it's a concern to me as much about him throwing the football as much as it is is this dude going to fumble a ton when he gets hit? Because his pocket management isn't good, and he runs into sacks a lot. Is his is it? Are we going to have a Daniel Jones situation where he's fumbling at a league high rate because of these small hands? I think that's where it comes in. That's where my concern is with Kenny Pickett and his hand size. Um, good quarterback. I don't know if he'll ever be a franchise quarterback. That's my feeling on Kenny Pickett. I think you have a really known floor with Kenny Pickett. I also don't think you have a very high ceiling with Kenny Pickett. So you know what you're getting with Kenny Pickett, but you're not going to get a franchise quarterback. Malik Willis, on the other hand, is this wild card quarterback. His tape is terrible. It's awful. 
abysmal. I mean, his tape this year is terrible. Decision-making is bad. He escapes the pocket when there's no one around him. He's inaccurate at times. There's a lot that's bad. But he's also one of the most explosive players I've ever seen at the quarterback position. Uh, he, he makes things happen out of nothing. He has great arm strength. I mean, the the, the, the velocity just coming out of it. it when you, if you were down there in Mobile, there was Malik Willis up here and everyone else is down here because his arm has a rocket launcher attached to it. He can push the ball through rain. When it was raining that day, he was throwing darts. I mean, it was like nothing. Um, he was pulling that thing and saying, I have this loaded and I'm going to fire it. And he made a few really great plays out of structure. Uh, off platform, he's got really good throws on tape. He's a guy though that has to work on his mechanics. He has to work on his process. And let's make no mistake about it. The Steelers' interest in Malik Willis is very, very real. Uh, you know, I talked to enough people, enough scouts uh, around the organization that that this is a legitimate interest in Malik Willis. You know, you would talk to other team scouts and, and and they would mention Malik Willis to the Steelers like it was a, a known commodity. Um, they, they they knew that the Steelers loved Malik Willis. Uh, you know, I was walking out of the stadium after the first day of practice, and, and lo and behold, on the right side of the concourse, in plain view to the public, it's Mike Tomlin, Kevin Colbert, and Matt Canada speaking to Malik Willis's parents. So there's a ton that went behind the scenes there, and they love Malik Willis. I truly believe that. I don't think he's going to be there. Um, I also got that vibe. I, I think Malik Willis, if they're going to want to get him, they're going to have to go up and get him. I think Malik Willis right now might be viewed as the quarterback one. It could be either him or Pickett, um, and that's kind of my view. And I'll also say this. I, the hierarchy of quarterbacks that I felt that I, I got out of that was that one, 1A, one 1B one are Pickett and Willis, two is Corral, and then three is, is Howe. If you're going to have four first-round quarterbacks, it's going to be those four guys. All right, let me just say this. Um, how, felt, how much do you think they're going to have to trade up? <clears throat> I think they're going to have to go to at least 10. Yeah, I think they have to go to 10. So I heard the Lions really like Malik Willis, which is interesting. Sitting him behind golf for a year or two, letting him kind of develop. Again, Malik Willis is a guy that's so raw, you shouldn't play him year one. So he's a developmental quarterback that has the traits to become a franchise quarterback, but you have to develop him. And you have to develop him really well. Um, so yeah, trading up, I I will say this: the Lions pick at two and thirty-two, which makes that a little bit different. And outside of them, you know, teams that I think could like Malik Willis, I think a team like the Saints might like him. I think a team like Denver might like him. I know Denver really likes Kenny Pickett if they can't get Aaron Rodgers. Um, so there's a lot to to look at like that too. Um, I know the Carolina Panthers love Kenny Pickett, so maybe they don't. You know, Malik Willis to the Panthers hasn't been something I've heard a lot. They are loving Kenny Pickett. I don't know where they're going to have to go. I would say at the very least, when you look at the draft board and, and you know, the teams that are picking, I think 10 is a reasonable estimate. But also maybe, you know, that's above the Washington football team. And I think that's a, a realistic landing spot for a guy like Malik Willis. Uh, I also think you look at. You know, Minnesota maybe wanting to move on from Kirk Cousins. We'll see how that ends up. But, I, yeah, I think 10 with the Jets is, is a pretty reasonable expectation. Outside of that, they just have to really hop New Orleans at 18. Um, if he gets past the Washington football team at 11, I think the last team that you're really scared of uh, before that would be New Orleans. Um, but maybe Detroit tries to trade up. Um, Tampa Bay maybe tries to trade up. 
So there, there's a lot of possibilities that could happen here. And, and there's also a lot of talk about potentially the Steelers going into trenches. We mentioned the offensive line, but the defensive line side, a lot of people have been saying Jordan Davis out of Georgia. Now, there's been a lot of talk of him being only a two-down defensive lineman, but there's some people that have been saying that he could be a three-down defensive lineman. Now, there's a lot of things that are riding on this. It, I I kind of like the Steelers' defensive line situation as is, especially if to it if they feel confident that to it's going to be back without it. I think I think maybe around mid March you try to see like, all right, Stefan, are you going to do something here or or are you done? And if so, that probably goes into potentially them getting Davis or another defensive lineman that you like. Well, defensive lines, I don't view it as a huge issue right now. In terms of the talent they have. Now, if Tua doesn't come back, different. Um, but I think that what Colbert said, I think, gave a lot of optimism is maybe him coming back. Um, so we'll see. I think defensive line, though, a guy like Jordan Davis, I don't know if that's the type of guy they need. Now, they they will need a nose tackle eventually. Tyson Aluel is not getting younger. <laughs> that's for sure. But a first-round pick on a guy that, for me, while he can be a three-down player – He's not going to be maximized in that passing situation. I would, you know, it's not a good interior defensive lineman class, but I would rather go after a guy like a Travis Jones from Connecticut, who is kind of in the Javon Hargrave model, you know, a pass rusher with with very great explosiveness. Um, he's very twitchy. He's a guy that is working through his moves. He's improved year over year. Like the type of guy like that, um, I think would be perfect. Jordan Davis is a space eater. He's a great run defender. He's really, really impressive at that. He's got very good athleticism for his size. You know, he's he's a first-round talent in terms of that. It reminds me a lot of like a, a Derek Brown type of guy, if you remember him coming out of Auburn now playing, I believe, with the Panthers. Um, so he's a guy that that could work there, but also there's been questions about his conditioning. There's been questions about his pass rush moves. His counters really aren't there yet. It's He's not a polished pass rusher. So the question is, do you need a Jordan Davis on this defensive line just yet? And I, I get the run defense problems were big, but also is is that the type of defensive lineman you need when Travis Jones has proven to be a great pass rusher and a, a really effective run defender as well from that nose position? I think if the Steelers look for a new nose tackle, they're going to look for an explosive guy with pass rushing upside, like a Montrevious Adams did. Last year, he both has run defense upside and pass rush upside. So I, I don't see them being enthralled with a guy like Jordan Davis. Uh, I think Jordan Davis is a good player, but I don't see the Steelers being enthralled by a guy like that. If they don't go quarterback in the first round, uh, you know, as Ty mentioned, they got – I think guard, like center or guard, I think is, is two big issues. Uh, do you think they go offensive line in the first round uh, if they don't go quarterback? I think it's very possible. I think, you know, I think that they could like a guy like a, if Charles Cross is there from Mississippi State, I think that would be an easy pick. I think a guy like Kenyon Green or a Kenyon Green and Tyler Linderbaum scream Steeler picks to me. Um, you know, uh, two positions on the interior of the line that might be not as valued by the other teams. So they fall down the board, but they're top 10 talents. This is how they ended up with Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro. Um, so those two guys scream Steeler less picks to me. Um, so I can see Linderbaum Green working outside of that. You know, the the other reach interior offensive lineman that you'll hear is Zion Johnson um, from Boston College. Very steady guy, probably the best lineman at the senior bowl. Um, tackle, 
I don't love the other tackles. I, you know, I'm not a Trevor Penning guy. I, I think that he's more of a round two guy than he is a first round guy. I think the first round hype's a little bit crazy. Also, the Steelers don't really draft the, those guys, you know, the small school type of guys. I don't know if they draft the Trevor Penning that early. I think they'd wait later for like Max Mitchell, Bernard Raymond, Falele, um, someone like that. I think they need, they're going to try and get an athletic type of tackle. Um, but I'm, I'm not sure I see them going for a guy like Penning. Um, so we'll see. Um, but I think if you look at, at how they do it throughout free agency, it's going to depend on where they attack, whether that's tackle or not. I think Kenny Green, Tyler Linderbaum make a lot of sense for the Steelers. All right. Um, let's, we'll talk about making picks. What about the general manager situation? Do you Are they any closer? Do you think they're just going to do it after the draft? Do you think it's going to be Khan? Do you think it's going to be Hunt? Do you, how do you see that playing out? Or do you think they're going to bring somebody from the outside? Well, I think they're doing their most right now in terms of developing their candidacy and who they want. Um, and I think that, again, they don't have a set. Their set deadline is after the draft, and they're going to hire this guy after the draft. Um, I firmly believe that is that, you know, they're not going to step on Kevin Colbert's toes. Kevin Colbert's going to be the GM through the draft, and then he's going to step away. Maybe you can do an advisory role, whatever, retirement, however that works out. My vibe is that they are trying to see anyone that can blow them away because there was a lot of the same thought process with the Mike Tomlin hiring. You know, maybe it was going to be Ken Wisenhunter, Russ Grimm. I'm in that area. And then out of nowhere, you know, I, I think that they had Ron Rivera maybe lined up as well. And then Mike Tomlin essentially comes in as a last minute interview, blows them away, and they hire Tom. So th- there's been it there's been instances, I think, in the Rooney's history where they have expected to, to hire someone internally and then have been blown away with someone from the outside. I haven't gotten any indications they've been blown away from anyone from the outside just yet. I'm guessing, and this is my feeling, I think that the next general manager of the Pittsburgh Steelers will be Brandon Hunt. I, I truly believe that. I think he's been the guy that's been groomed to be the successor. I think that Hunt has showcased his acumen consistently. He was the man that pushed for the for the Minka Fitzpatrick trade, for example. The pro scouting side of things has been really good in recent years. Montrevious Adams was a really good find in, in the practice squad area. Akilah Witherspoon was a really great trade. Chris Wormley's turned into a really nice fifth round. You know, that was a fifth round pick trade. Chris Wormley's turned into a quality defensive lineman here for a few years. I think that they've done a nice job in that area. And, and Hunt does a lot of the late round scouting for the team as well. So he's a guy that found a guy like a Trey Norwood, for example. Um, so there's a lot that he does. I think there's a lot that he's proven he can do. I really like what Brandon Hunt has done. And, and I think he's the guy that you're going to see uh, go with the general manager position. I think that they're going to want someone from a scouting background, you know, and I, I we'll see what happens with Omar Khan. Obviously the cap stuff is great. And he's one of the best cap gurus in the NFL. Some people will criticize him, even though they literally wizard through the cap every year and they somehow add an extra 15 million. He's great at his job. Um, but I think they want a guy with a scouting background. So I, I would technically believe that likely who the next general manager will be will be Brandon Hunt. I want to follow up question. I'm sorry, Chris. I don't want to. What about uh, he's what about Mike Tomlin being the head of football ops? What would you th- what would you think about that? Because if you have these two, you keep those two around. Tough for the scouting. Tough, I mean, uh, con for the cap. 
and you got Mike Tomlin that can galvanize, be a whole CEO of the team, which he is probably anyway, because he's the most, let's face it, he's the most powerful man in the organization anyway. So how do you feel about him being, maybe not be called the general manager per se, but, you know, head of football ops? I, I I always get a little bit apprehensive when coaches take on any tag that could have that type of influence because there are very few coaches that can do this. Bill Belichick is not the, the rule. He is the exception to the rule. I've seen a lot of coaches take on this type of role. I've seen, you know, Andy Reid in Philadelphia took on this role, and obviously they built a really good team. But eventually, it fell apart. Bill O'Brien took on this role in, in Houston; it was a disaster. You know, I'm not. I think Mike Tomlin could do it. I would rather him not do it. I would rather him stick kind of where he is right now. Leave that to Hunt. Leave that to their scouting department. The Steelers have a really great scouting department with a lot of really good talent in there. A lot of very good tenured guys and, and a lot of young budding talent in there as well. They have a really good scouting department. Let it be there. Tomlin gets to say, and, you know, if this is a player he wants, if they're down to, you know, three players, I think that's where Mike Tomlin comes in. Um, you know, they they want to target a linebacker, you know, and, and they all look at it, and I think they'll talk strategy. I think that this is a very egalitarian type of organization. I've never gotten this rule that Mike Tomlin is a guy that exerts his power everywhere. Now, he tries to use his influence to, to really help Things. I think in the Brian Flores situation, that was all Mike Tomlin. Uh, though I don't think he had to fight hard. I think Kevin Colbert and Art Rooney were very willing for that. I, I think that that I, I don't know if there's ever been a huge disconnect between what general manager and head coach would want to do. I've, I've often felt that Tomlin and Colbert are often in lockstep with one another. I think that they work together, and I think him and Hunt are going to do similar things. So I, I'm not really for Mike Tomlin taking on both general manager and coaching jobs. It's hard enough as is to be the coach. He gets a lot of the say in personnel uh, stuff as well. Um, and, and if there's a guy that Tomlin knows, he'll throw out their names, right? Um, he knew Montrevious Adams, and that's probably how Montrevious Adams came here. Brandon Hunt looked into him, and there you go. But I, I'm also certain the same thing has happened with Colbert, where Colbert probably knows a guy, and Tomlin watches him and says, hey, this is great. So I think that this, there's a very egalitarian kind of vibe to this. But I think you got to let Hunt do his job if that's the case and kind of let those guys go. And, and let's not make Mike Tomlin wear himself too thin because I think it can be very easy if you are a guy that is both the VP of football ups and the head coach, I think it's very easy to get stretched too thin, and then things can start to go down yeah, and uh, you know the other uh, on Monday, uh, Kevin Kohler was talking to reporters, and he said that uh, you know kind of like an obvious uh, you know saying that you know if the season ended today, Mason Rudolph would be the quarterback, but you know still very early, it's still you know February. But uh, do you do you think Rudolph's gonna will be the quarterback uh, once September comes? Do you think they're gonna get I know a free agent quarterback or draft a quarterback or whatever? But I mean, you just see it all over Twitter place. Everybody's talking about Mason Rudolph, you know, either they're for him or against him, uh, you know, he's like. He's a controversial figure for some reason, but uh, do you think he'll be the QB one uh, in 2022? I think it's possible, and I, I do. Um, I don't think it's 100% certain, though. I think he's going to have to earn it. Um, and, and here's the thing. They're going to bring in a free agent quarterback, I would bet. I think they're going to bring in a rookie. I, I think they're going to bring in two more quarterbacks, both a free agent and a rookie, and Mason Rudolph will have that opportunity to earn that job. But I don't think he's going to have any absolute – 
you know, rule to it. I don't think that they're going to give him it. Of course, he he's the starter right now. He's the only one on the roster. I mean, I know Dwayne Haskins is probably coming back, but he also was on the depth chart over Haskins. So there's no reason to declare Mason Rudolph as anything but the starter right now when you don't know who else they'll get. Now, I, I think they'll bring in a free agent, you know, maybe a Tarod Taylor, Marcus Mariota, Mitch Trubisky, uh, Jameis Winston, type of that quarterback. Um, I, I'm leaning more and more as I hear kind of towards a Tarod or, or a Mitch Trubisky. I think that those two make some sense. And then, again, the rookie, whether that's Willis, whether that is Pickett, Sam Howe. I mean, I think there are many different options for them to kind of use this two-pronged strategy. But I think they're going to try and figure out this quarterback situation. And Rudolph will have the opportunity to win it. But I don't think he's a slam dunk starter by any means. I think he's. I think they're comfortable having him with this, as the starter. But I don't think they're going to give him it. I, I also think they see what he is um, overall, which is probably better as a backup. But if he has to start, I think they're comfortable with it. But I don't know if that's their ideal situation. Yeah, and if he if he would be the uh, you know the starter, uh, how how do you think he would fit under Matt Canada's often? Because you know Rudolph's not the most mobile quarterback. He's uh, you know, Brandon's mentioned on the podcast before that he's like a one read type of quarterback. And, you know, what was he's heading into his fifth season? Like we see it pretty much in not a good sample size of Rudolph, but you know, we know what he is, what, what he is. Um, just like, how, how do you think that would work out if, if he does, like, do you think they'll go a winning record or do you think they'll be like 500 or well, like, you know, not five, but like eight and nine or something like that. Or do you think it'd be like a five or six win team? Yeah, I think they'd be largely in that. 500 area, 98, 89. Again, Mason Rudolph is a fine backup quarterback. I think he gets too much flack. There are some people that think he doesn't belong on the league. There's a he's a top 64 quarterback, right? Um, is he a good quarterback? Absolutely not. Let's be real about that. There, he's not going to win you games, and he's probably going to lose you some games too. He's not a good quarterback. He's a fine backup to spot star here for a game or two if you need him. Ideally, though, you don't want this guy being your starter at all. I mean, he's—I don't think he's a top thirty-two quarterback in this league. I'll say that. So, I mean, this is a guy that hopefully doesn't start for the Steelers, and I don't think should. But I even if I think that Mike Tomlin is a good enough coach, I think this defense will be pretty good this year. I have really good hopes for this defense, and I think if that happens, you know, I think Mason Rudolph will be okay enough on some days. It's really not a hard schedule either. I mean, the schedule is pretty simple. Um, so I, th- I think they'd be able to steal a few games here or there, and I think they'd be probably around to 500 with Mason Rudolph. All right. You still talked about this one quarterback, for that quarterback for North Carolina, it's Sam Howell. I'm not quite – I mean, I don't know him. I mean, I watched a little bit. I covered a little bit of Pitt to another site. But I watched that game particularly. How do you think about him? Because he just doesn't – he doesn't do it for me. But you're probably more – the expert than I am. I'm going to defer to you. You would you you were at the senior role, correct? Yes. No, you were at the senior role. What did you see from him? And what did you see on tape when they played Pitt and everything like that? This because they see a lot of hype from going to Pitt, the Steelers. Sam Howell's a very interesting quarterback. Very interesting. He doesn't really do well under pressure, but he's pretty accurate. He does a really good job of maximizing those around him. Like this year, he did not have a good supporting cast. His offensive line sucked. He really had one weapon outside of Josh Downs as his receiver, and that was Ty Chandler as running back. He kind of created most of that offense for himself. 
I, I think he led the ACC in broken tackle rate, which is just absurd. I mean, he's pretty elusive as a runner. I think he gets less credit for that than you would imagine. Now, there are issues with him. I, I'm not certain he's exactly your prototypical franchise quarterback. Again, doesn't really do well under pressure, and that scares me. He gets skittish under pressure. I'm always wary of guys that aren't poised under pressure. But how is also a guy that when you look at kind of the, the rawness around him, there is a few things to work. Uh, he can be a little bit pre- too predetermined on one read, for example, uh, but he's tough. But he's also a guy that played in a, in a pretty simple offense in North Carolina. But when he was able to work through his progressions, I thought he did fine. I like Sam Howe. Uh, I really actually do like Sam Howe. He's grown on me over the year. Um, so much so where I think I might take him over Kenny Pickett just because I think that there's actually a higher ceiling with Sam Howell. I think there's a lower floor, obviously. He's more of a developmental guy. I'm not, I'm not sure I want Sam Howell playing year one. I really don't, actually. If it were up to me, the only quarterback I would have playing year one from these top five guys or six guys, all include Strong and Ritter, is probably Kenny Pickett. I think he's ready to go now. I think he's ready to play now. I don't know if Sam Howell's that type of guy, but I also think you can develop Sam Howell to actually something a little bit more than people think. And I wouldn't trade up for him or anything. I've seen some crazy trade-ups for him. Um, but I think he's a fine enough quarterback. If they drafted him at 20, I, I don't think anyone should be all that mad about it. You guys got anything else? Oh, oh, just one last question. I want to ask about uh, the receiver position. What, what do you think, uh, you know, Stewart, like they have a couple free agents, James Washington, Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Ray Ray McLeod. Uh, you know, who do you think comes back from that group and who in the draft do you think the Steelers need to get? Because they, they really need – uh, you know, another guy that could separate because I mean, really, only one was Deontay Johnson this this past season. They need separation and speed. Now, I I figure that Ray Ray McLeod will be back, and I think this is just an inkling. This is just how I feel. I think Juju Smith Schuster will be back. I, I really think the organization wants him back. I think he wants to come back. I know there have been some quotes out there. There's been the report that he wants to go to the Chiefs, and I I hear those reports as well. I think Juju wants to be back, and I think that this will happen. I think he'll be back. Um, so I, my guess is that those two come back. It still wouldn't surprise me, even if you get Juju back, if they draft a receiver, people people keep telling me I'm crazy. I'm telling you, that third-round pick, do not be surprised if they draft a receiver in round three. The Steelers are notoriously, and I mean notoriously known, for drafting a lot of receivers and drafting them early. And they love to do it. If they don't believe in Claypool, they'll draft a Z receiver. And they're going to draft a speedster. And it wouldn't surprise me. And, and I think there's obvious connections to, to Sky Moore. You know, Dino Tomlin, Mike Tomlin's son, played with him at Shadyside Academy. Um, so that's an obvious connection. There's other guys that that fit that mold. Wandell Robinson from Kentucky uh, fits in there. Christian Watson from North Dakota State. There are guys out there. George Pickens from Georgia fits that kind of mold. Tyquan Thornton from Baylor. Uh, Jalen Naylor from Michigan State. There are a ton of these types of receivers in this class. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if they draft one early. I'm telling you, they're going to draft a receiver. If there's a bet prop that gets put down on do the Steelers draft a receiver, yes or no, slam the money on the yes. They're drafting yes. a receiver. I'm going to tell you the, fir- the perfect a perfect guy, guy that could fit. And me, shout out to Nittany Sports Now, PSN, uh, Subsidy, Jahan Dotson. Yes, I think Jahan Dotson would fit as well. 
He's another guy. That would be a round two pick probably. I think Dots is going to go that early. Um, but I could see it happening. I could see George Pickens happening maybe in round two. Um, I, I think Christian Watson could happen there. Round three, you got guys, like I said, Sky Moore. Um, day three even in that round four, you have Tyquan Thornton and Jalen Naylor, two really speedy guys. Is that wide receiver four that can be that change of pace type of a player? And then you could start moving Claypool into the slot a little bit more. So there's a lot you can do. Claypool will replace the Ebron role um, in that scenario. Um, but but I think they're going to draft a receiver, and I, my bet is I think and I think one of those first four picks is going to become a wide receiver. I, I do get that feeling. And then how, how about the cornerback position? You think they they bring back Witherspoon, and what do you think goes on with Joe Hayden there? Is uh, you know getting up there in age? Do you think they're going to pay him, or, or how, how do you think that's going to work out? Uh, it all depends on what Witherspoon's market is. Um, he played really well. It could be very lucrative that we could have one of those teams that's in that rebuild that's very desperate for corner help, like the Jets that come out and pay Witherspoon something that you just can't match. Um, I, I I think he should be a big time. I think he should be very emphasized in this offseason. He's big for them. He was huge for them down the stretch. Their numbers against the pass literally went down once Witherspoon came into the line and played well. So he should be back. Joe Hayden, I'm not sure if he's going to come back. I, I really don't. Uh, uh, he brings that leadership. I think they love what Joe Hayden does, but he's also 33. And so it can be tough. Uh, if they draft the cornerback, we'll see what what kind of their interest is in the cornerback class at large. But I, I did note this. You know, Tomlin paid a, a good deal of attention to the cornerbacks in Mobile. So we'll see. Um, I, I think that, that this team is still working through things. My guess is Witherspoon comes back. Hayden doesn't. But I could easily see the reverse of that. I think the cornerback room is easily the one that I don't know how to predict right. I'll say that. Corner in round one, you think? You think it could happen. It could happen. I think and if I'm sorry, if you do, since you're a senior bowl guy, what name should we look out for? I know you're not gonna get Derek Stingley the third. Yeah. So well, at 20, where would you go? There are a ton of names I like for corner. Andrew Booth from Clemson, Kair Elam from Florida State, Trent McDuffie from Washington. This corner class is deep. Very deep, which makes me think that they might spend a day two pick on it rather than a round one pick. But, you know, if all the linemen are gone and they don't really like the guys there, I think we could easily see them take a guy like Elam, like Booth, uh, like McDuffie, or in round two, a guy like Kyler Gordon or, or Mario Goodrich, um, Kobe Bryant in, in round three. There's a lot of talent in this group, and the Steelers should should get their ch- choice of kind of who they want. So so I really like this corner class, and I think that they'll be able to capitalize on it for sure. All right, we all good, guys? Yeah, yeah good. Yep. All right, I'll wrap it up. And that was Nick Faribault. Thanks for an incredible hour of talk about the Steelers, the Senior Bowl, and, of course, the, well, the GM search for the Steelers as well. So, Nick, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate your insight. Thanks for having me on. All right. And that's all for us. That's Chris Ward. That's Brandon Walker. I'm Ty Polk. You've been listening to The Renegade Blitz. Thank you for listening to The Renegade Blitz Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Renegade Blitz, at our Blitz Pod, and at Blitz Videos. Read articles on RenegadeBlitz.com. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. The Renegade Blitz Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and wherever else you can listen to podcasts.